0: All right, welcome back to Firewall. I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Today is a Tuesday episode. So with us is our friend and producer, Hugo Lindgren. Hugo, how you doing? Hi, Bradley. And then also Megan Collins is joining us for the first segment. So here's the plan of attack for today.
1: Should we say who Megan is?
0: Megan is my chief of staff. I was gonna get into that, but oh, I, I see. Okay. you've already covered it. So. All right, well. I, uh, but she's also been on the podcast she a, has. B- bunch, probably close to 10 times at this point, right? So yeah. Yeah.
1: L- listeners know Old her. hand.
0: Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk to Megan specifically about, you know, as a kind of millennial sort of left-wing person, non-Jew, kind of her views of sort of why the left is sort of taking this very pro-Palestinian position. Uh, then we're also going to talk about I'm just going to be a topic that we'll probably cover for a, a bunch of episodes, but um, should New York City switch to a city manager um, system. I know that all of you have been sort of pondering and debating that intensely.
1: <laughs> Rather uh, you're gonna you're gonna bring that into the into the public realm. That's your that's your that's your purpose. Here, and right?
0: then uh, yeah. And then pedestrian rules of the road. I have some suggestions. Um, and then a recommendation. And then we'll be. Done. Are they
1: suggestions? Or are they like iron laws? They're suggest- suggestions. No, no. They're they're my view of what should be done. Right. Bradley's iron laws of proper possession. Of how I believe people right. should behave and right. walk Got and you. everything else. Okay.
0: Uh, in order to maximize the benefit of society. Okay. Um, so let's start with the not fun topic, which is Israel. So Megan, give quickly just so the listeners understand, like your kind of political background in evolution.
2: Yeah. Um, so, I, at least at the firm, I think I'm described as uh, very progressive. Um, I've been a Democrat as long as I can remember. Um, when I was in you know, uh, high school, actually, I got involved in activism, and I would say that that's um, what got me involved. I actually joined a student group that was um, a national organization, and uh, it actually focused on Darfur. So I would say that my politics has been progressive Um, But on this issue, I I haven't really um, evolved. It's kind of been the same way.
0: Right. And then you, you know, I think people would assume that you're effectively a DSA type, but the reality is they lost you in 2016.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I should speak to my actual adulthood of politics here. Um, I, I left college. I went to a very liberal women's college. Uh, very proud of it, um, and when I left I decided I was going to join nonprofits, I was focused on environmental activism, um, and there were a lot of great people that I worked with, but I was also kind of dismayed by uh, some of the tactics, I would say, from, from the left. Um, I learned a lot, but I would say that, you know, I felt like there was another way to do things, um, but I always looked at uh, politics as the left and even with the far left that There's a lot that we have in common. Um, And when Hillary ran, uh, that's when I would say that, you know, my differences with the far left were the most apparent. I did not like Bernie. Um, I didn't like his platform. And I got in a lot lot of fights with my fellow leftists. Uh, And I would say the same thing happened in 2020 when it came to uh, well, how, you, were, you were for yeah.
0: Elizabeth Warren in 2020. Yeah. I, that's I, not exactly a right-wing candidate.
2: No, but that's where I would say that it's it, there's more nuances within the far left than people even realize. Um, you know, I think that sexism is something that was a difficult topic to talk about um, in 2016, especially with Bernie, but even in 2020. Um, you know, my, my wife is not progressive, but she was a, a Kamala... Supporter, and both of us got really frustrated that both Kamala and Warren were running, and the attacks against her and Warren just within the far left. Um, I did not feel like embraced all of the values that I thought that you know we stood with. Um, I don't hold it against them though. I do think that there's people that have grown from it, but that's something that you know uh, with my politics, the DSA has kind of always stood with Bernie, and in that case, I've never actually been part of the DSA.
0: Right. So o- over, say, the, you know, dozen years or so since you finished college, um, the other sort of big evolution is not just sort of, a, you know, mem- individuals like AOC or Sanders um, or even the DSA, but obviously social media has had a huge impact in driving all of it. Um, where would you say kind of, if you had to sort of try to describe where the super progressive movement stands today, what would you say?
2: Uh, It's a good question. I think we're in a a moment where we're figuring that out. Uh, I I do have to say, you know, with AOC and Warren as um, progressives that, you know, in large part I have supported. uh, I think their positions right now as it comes to Israel and Palestine, um, I think that that's more in line with where the mentality is on the, the further left than what we're seeing on social media. But I'm also saying this from my bubble, Um, you know, I I do think that social media skews a lot, I think, on all sides, right? Like I think that, you know, people go to social media and they're reading it because it's interesting or it's funny or there's something that's different, but you're not really going to have a whole feed of people saying like, my heart breaks and um, I hope that there's peace, you know, like something that would be um, not controversial. I think that social media encourages people to really um, pick a far side of something
0: so it it feels like uh, and obviously it's social media but we're seeing it in rallies and other things too that there is you know a lot of embrace of both Palestinians which is fine and then Hamas which is in my view not fine um, by the far left why?
2: I can't explain why on on Hamas I can't I don't I don't think that there's any um, excuse to give for that and I think that people who have said that, uh, you know, it, this where my optimism is. I think there's a lot of people, I think the left in general, is um, not shy from talking to each other. Uh, if, if it's playing out on social media, I'm not sure. I, I Right now I'm avoiding social media for the most part. Um, but I do, uh, there's no excuse, it's reprehensible. I don't stand by anything that anyone has said on that. Um, and it did us a great disservice on what, if you're talking about, you know, uh, Pre October seventh, right, and Palestine and the issues surrounding. I think that the initial reaction to October seventh from the far left with the DSA rally in Times Square was just uh, set us back because now it's even for, it's even harder to distinguish the differences because the rhetoric was just so inflammatory.
0: So, but even before October seventh, yeah, I think a lot of people in the center, um, especially Jews. Felt like there was just this very high tolerance for anti-semitism on the far left and for a group whose underlying reason to exist is to fight Discrimination, yeah. they seem very comfortable in engaging in it um, in this particular way. W- why is that?
2: I don't have an excuse for it, really. I, I, I think that There's a lot more people uh, that do not want that kind of rhetoric to ever be um, displayed said um, I, I, I'm not here to apologize for them either, though. I, I, that's, not, that's not where I stand. That's yeah. not where people who you know, I align with stand. Um, and when we're talking about Palestine right now and, and not addressing anti-Semitism and we're not talking about the historical context of all of this, I think that that's where people really miss the mark. And it goes against, yeah, the values that, you know, when we're talking about um, minorities' rights, uh, Jewish folks... Um, historically, it's, we know, centuries, 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 it's, it's, um, I think that on me and the way I see it is what can I individually do? What actions can I take? And if it was ever said in front of me, if it's ever something that is in my world, uh, I'd call it out. And I would say that that's something that I hope every progressive feels, Um, but there's no excuse for it.
0: So, at least a, a working thesis that I have is, I'm not sure if, the majority of progressives actually actively dislike Jews. I think that the vast majority of human beings like to feel that they belong to something and generally like to be told what to think and what to say and are very afraid of them being cast out of whatever group they identify with. Um, And as a result, you have at least people in the leadership on the far left, who I think are blatantly anti-Semitic, clearly the DSA was, and Black Lives Matters was when they both endorsed what Hamas did. Um, but then most people who sort of follow suit, it's more because they think that's what they're supposed to do. Um, I mean, I guess every group is, is guilty of groupthink. I, I tend to find that the far left is, other than maybe the far right, one of the least intellectually curious open groups out there and it's sort of faster to condemn people, cancel people, everything else. And so I think as a result, they've done a really good job becoming in a weird way an authoritarian organization that that can silence people.
2: Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with that in how it's, at least how it's playing out. How, you know, who's the the public speakers of the, the far left movement. I think that it's a lot more complicated because there's so many different groups. And I would say that there's so many... Jewish people in the progressive wing of the party that for me what hurts is that they're feeling like and the article that you know, yeah, Hugo topic, sent me. Yeah. yeah I, that's where I think um, I wouldn't categorize it all and just want like hardened binary view here because there are so many people who share these progressive values and don't align with this thinking. So that's where I would say that there's um, I, I really do believe that there is uh, a reckoning right now happening. It's not necessarily playing out you know, with the media because I think that there's inflammatory remarks are just going to be seized upon by the media. I think that that's what people gravitate towards in clicking. Um, but all of this said, I, again, I'm not defending anything that they have said, um, but I do think that for progressives, if you're not standing with Or if you're not standing against, I should say, anti-Semitism, then you're not doing the service that you said that you would.
0: So you sent me an article yesterday from the L.A. Times. It was an op-ed from a UCLA student. And the way I read it, which may or may not, because we didn't talk about it. You just sent it and I said, I'll read it. And I did. Yeah. Is a little bit of a, hey, let college kids say and do what they want to do and stop pointing it out and judging them for it. Is that how you read it and is that your belief?
2: Somewhat how I read it, um, the way that I read it, I, I, and I'm not Gen Z, right, and so I think yeah. when you're asking me on Millennial, but I do think as it comes to campuses, um, I, I personally feel like the last few years especially, right, progressives who have been protesting conservative speakers or people that they just don't agree with, right, they, there's been criticism of them and their cancel culture around that. And, um, you know, not that, not that anyone has ever asked me, but I've always been uh, pro letting speakers come to campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, at college, one of the most, um, you know, influential moments that I had was actually going to a tea party. This was before Trump and everything. This when the tea party was starting to um, show face, and the founder of the tea party came and spoke at Mount Holyoke. And uh, it was an incredibly respectful uh, engagement, everyone on campus showed up. Um, and I thought that it was just, uh, I was proud of it.
0: Do you think that's possible today
2: um, at,
0: at Mount Holyoke or anywhere else?
2: I'd like to think that that is possible. I think that's where the universities do have a responsibility. So I don't think, look, anyone who's saying that they, that what happened on October 7th, is in any way, shape, or form on the Israelis, I think that's abhorrent and should be called out. Um, I don't think that just banning student groups from being able to host uh, events or speakers, um, it's not even so much that I think it's just morally wrong. I think that we're trying to change minds, we're trying to get people to. Right. Hear but what aren't you're saying. the
0: people who are now saying, I deserve the ability to say, what I think, and without being sort of punished for the same ones who frequently say, This person shouldn't be allowed to teach here, this person shouldn't be allowed to speak here. Yeah. I mean, so, it, you know, one, where's the point of accountability? And two, I mean, in a weird way, the, I feel like the DSA types, they always shoot themselves in the foot, right? Because yep. it, even if they genuinely believe that the Palestinians are really oppressed and the Israelis are the aggressors and everything else, if they had just acted like decent human beings when October 7th happened, then, you know, in the subsequent kind of war to follow, they could have made their points about, you know, innocent civilians and humanitarian, and it would have been a valid point. now, you know, I'm not willing to listen to anything the far left says about this, um, because they basically have endorsed the view that I don't have a right to exist.
2: I, I completely agree with that. I think that they lost any stance in the conversation, to be honest. I I don't disagree with any of that. But as it comes to campuses, that's where I'd say, like, they're there for four years. That's not the real world. But their world is real while they're there. And so I think that a lot of students, especially, I mean, the op-ed was written by a Jewish student Mm -hmm. who is part of a pro-Israel group. And what I found most compelling was her saying, like, the fear is very real, but how are you protecting or how are you mitigating that fear by then on the other side basically canceling out these students because those students aren't going away. This this argument isn't going away. So how is it where you can have a discussion without, you know, giving into what, you know, they're saying? Uh I just think that it's a little bit more nuanced than one side canceling the other.
0: Yeah, although I would argue that look, I mean, at Tusk, I think we frequently Put our money where our mouth is, and and we invest heavily in trying to do the things that we care about, whether it's hunger or mobile voting or you know, pro abortion or whatever else. And then we have to live with the consequences of that, which includes lots of public criticism. There's business we don't get, there are investors we don't get. There's all kinds of stuff that we don't get, yep. and we accept those consequences. It, I mean, it seems to me that if you're going to put yourself out there, and especially if you're going to use the prestige of your university to try to make a public point to the media beyond just other students Stand by stand behind what you believe in which means Accepting the consequences for your behavior if that means that you a job offer is rescinded You know that's exactly part of what comes with the territory and by the way I would encourage people to continue Saying what they truly believe and accepting the consequences of it, but this notion now that the same kids are complaining It's not fair that they're losing their jobs at prestigious law firms like no you, you gotta either you know, either keep your mouth shut, which is what most people do, or if you say what you believe, then you got to live with it.
2: Sure. And look, I'm not saying that these companies, it's businesses' right to do whatever they want to do, right? Um, But I think that there's something really special about it. And also, let's just say campuses in general, the the left, it's been left for a while now, right? Since like the 60s, basically. So um, I think that there's space for people to... Um, make mistakes say something that and I'm sure uh, when I was on campus and you know uh, in various student groups I'm sure that I had opinions that were something that I wouldn't agree with today mm-hmm. but I think if we don't give any kind of space and I'm again I'm talking about students that are showing up for free Palestine rallies at the universities um, I think that there should be a place for them to learn because that's why they're there.
0: Right. I would argue the distinction between people showing up for a Palestinian freedom or safety rally as opposed to people who, on October 7th, gleefully said how happy they were about the murder of all these people.
2: No, I agree. But I do you think, though, that there is no... And this is where I would say, like, the DSA shot themselves in the foot. It put the left in a more... Um, Challenging position because now we're having to spend so much time and understandably now, you know calling out the fact that Hamas is a terrorist organization, and there's nothing progressive uh, I mean, I think to, this this to is con-
0: honestly always true with the DSA and the far left Which is you know they identify issues that actually do resonate with with not just the far left but with a lot of people right yeah. they have policy positions that 70% of it makes a lot of sense and they're so insistent on absolute fealty to whatever it is they think should be that they shoot themselves in the foot. Like super progressive legislation, like never passes, and when it does, it's shit. Like in San Francisco, where they had to like rescind all the renaming of the schools because they realized sort of what a debacle it was. So, like to me, this is always, an, and I'm sure the right, you know, I just don't see it as closely because I don't live in, in that world. But like, does the same thing, which is when you are so extremist and you are so self righteous. Um, you end up in order to preserve your sense of, of sort of purity um, undermining any effectiveness.
2: Yeah. But that's where I would say, though, on the the counter of it is what, uh, especially for moderates, uh, canceling out these students, being careful that, you know, I think that students that are talking about, and the ones that aren't talking about Hamas, but they're talking about Palestine, I think that for that to just be shut down, I think that there should be conversations, because again, I think that there will be more students then that will feel more empowered to actually talk about it, not yeah. just the ones who are silent.
0: So last piece, and I'll throw Hugo on this one too, because um, there was an article <laughs> in the New York Times that actually mentioned, the it included the, a, a letter from the school, the headmaster of the school that our kids go to, um, and I, I don't know why, like, heads of schools and institutions Feel the need to immediately comment publicly on current events of which they're not experts about, right? Like a head of a high school in New York City, and, and ours happened to get in trouble for it, but it, they all did this. Like no one expects, like someone who does, runs a K through 12 school in Manhattan to be an expert on Middle East security and military. And but politics. don't you think
1: there probably are some parents at the school who want a statement from the school? I mean, I don't either, but I uh, like you know, I, I would say because because our headmaster, who do I
0: like it? quite a bit, right?
1: issued a statement, it was felt
0: to be way too sympathetic to Hamas and the Palestinians, and he had to assure a retraction he caused a firestorm, you know the New York Times wrote about sort of the missteps he took, we've seen this with a bunch of other schools too I don't know, if I was running a school whether it was a university or a high school or anything else, I would just say like on issues in which I have real expertise I'm happy to publicly share my views but on issues in which I don't like, there's no reason I should be talking about this publicly.
1: I mean I totally agree in the, in the... In, the, in overall, but I do think when something terrible happens that affects people emotionally, I think that's what his intention was, which is there are people in the school who are suffering because of this horrible well, I, thing. So
0: then their rabbi or whatever should do it. Like, why should the head of their kid's not secular school, why right. should they expect that? I mean, they expect it because he always Feels yeah, the need right. to comment, right? But if you didn't have this practice in the first place,
1: look, I agree with you. It doesn't do anything for me. I wonder if there are people who, when something really bad happens in the world that affects children and the way they view the world, if they hear from the school, maybe that's something that's comforting to them. I, I don't. I, again, I don't agree with that either. I'm just saying in that, that there is a situation,
0: you can talk individually to the parents who reach out to you about it. I, I just it just seems to me to be this sort of no one thing, which is like everyone feels so compelled to say what they think at all times that there are times where you're really better off keeping your mouth
1: shut. So what about the CEO of a company? There's obviously some that are like supposedly on the hot seat. I mean, I think a lot of companies have learned. Should they say nothing? I think a lot of,
0: the vast majority of the time, I have noticed that when corporations kind of meander into hot button political issues, it backfires on them. One way, regardless of which side they're on, right? right? It always comes off. So, if, so,
1: so, so I mean, there's some CEOs, I guess Bob Iger being one of them, who are being credited with coming out with strong statements in support of Israel. I don't give a fuck what Bob Iger thinks. No, I don't either. But, but, but I, but I'm just curious. You think they, they should just say nothing? I, I just well, I mean, Disney
0: especially, you know, had, and they were right on the don't say gay bill, but it sort of cost them their entire tax exemption in Florida as a result. Um, Look, Bob Iger is a excellent corporate leader and his views on the future of streaming or the Screen Actors Guild strike or, you know, ways to make theme parks more exciting. Sure, you know, l- let me hear what you think. But no, he's not. Although, I mean, other than the fact that he's really rich and I assume people all day tell him how brilliant he is and what he wants to hear... He doesn't know anything of utility. I don't need to hear what Bob Iger thinks about this or the head of my kid's school or, or really so anyone else I mean, with he, expertise. he obviously
1: thinks that people who work at Disney want to hear it. I mean, he, I, he's... I, I doubt it.
2: Well, I would say, though, that campus uh, administrators, I, I think right now would be an important time for them to at least um, talk about the uh, measures that they are taking for both, you know, on the anti-Semitism and Islamophobia on their campus and what sure, they're doing Sure, those are about tangible
0: operations. Yeah. Because but, but that's part of their The role. statements we're talking about weren't like, yeah. hey, here's what we're doing. It was like, I believe, and then it was either like, a very vociferous combination of Hamas, or a not vociferous enough, yeah. And then either way, all of a sudden you got st- st- trouble.
1: Um, we're gonna, we're gonna, have yeah, to we do we're hard gonna do our hard pivot. To, we're gonna have to bring but, but, Megan
0: back on. Yeah, but Megan, if you want to going. stick around and jump to stuff, so we're doing a very hard pivot here, and this is <laughs> so um, hard. Everyone might need to turn off
1: and take a break. <laughs> had nothing to do <laughs> with Israel.
0: It's just something that I've been wondering about, and I feel like this podcast. Um, is an opportunity to put ideas out there into the sector, in part because I am willing to accept the consequences of what I say. And in this case, um, the mayor and city hall are not going to be happy at all uh, when they hear about this. Um, But but I've been wondering whether we should have a city manager. So there are cities that have someone who is not elected, they're appointed, and there are lots of different ways to go about appointing them, um, who is a nonpartisan, non-ideological, professional operator, and they run the operational fun- functions of the city. So, um, And then there's a mayor who um, is the political leader of the city, the public face of the city, um, big picture vision, economic development, housing, zoning, tourism, all of that. Um, but the reason why you have it is the vast majority of the time, Um, the mayor is a politician. They're a career politician. They've never run anything before. Um, They don't know what they're doing. And while there's this notion of, well, they'll appoint a deputy mayor for operations, and that person will, that person is still living, A, they're appointed by someone who doesn't know how to manage in the first place or hire for talent, and B, um, still makes every decision. There was an article, for example, in the New York Post today about the Black Lives Matters protest in 2020 and de Blasio deliberately not sending enough cops because he didn't want the bad press that would come from his base if the cops had a violent confrontation with protesters. Um, I get De Blasio is a politician. He makes decisions based on politics, but he shouldn't have been the one making that call because it led to a a lot of violence and destruction that wasn't good for anybody. So I I made a list of sort of the arguments in in favor and against uh, of a city manager and would love to hear from the listeners on this because to me this is sort of the, the beginning of a conversation. So one uh, mayor is an inherently political job and not suited to operations. Two, most mayors are career politicians with little management experience. Of the last six in New York City, only Bloomberg had meaningful managerial experience. Adams was a borough president and a state senator. DeBlaza was a public advocate and city council member. Rudy ran a, a prosecutor's office. Dinkins was borough president. Koch was a congressman. None of them knew how to run anything, and I think it frequently showed in, in, in their tenure. Um, Third, most mayors make every decision based on politics, not substance, so every operational decision risks being undermined by politics. Fourth, in a place like New York City, the job is too big as is. The mayor needs to be the political and ideological leader of the city, its public face, determine its policies and budget and growth. Doing that and making the trains run on time is very difficult. We have seen most mayors fail. Fifth leaving operational appointments to a city manager then allows the mayor to choose other agency leaders and deputy mayors that fit with their ideology and politics rather than hiring competent people who don't fit their litmus test. And sixth, the thing that matters most to politicians is politics, ideology, media, fundraising, community support, polling, etc. cetera. The thing that matters most to residents is operations, traffic, clean drinking water, trash pickup. The two are not aligned and the people lose out. So those are the arguments in favor. Now, these were the arguments against it's undemocratic. The people elect the mayor. The mayor should be in charge and be held accountable. We have only the second mayor of color in New York City history. Changing the rules now is unfair. Uh, third, the system can work as is, see Bloomberg. Four, a city manager system can lead to incredible bureaucracy, delay, caution, and resistance to change. So, you know, I, I, th- I think I agree with everything I just said on, on kind of both, both sides. You, you agree with yourself? I mean, I, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um So, I guess the first thing, and I'll just ask both of you guys then, is sort of just initial thought, know that neither of you have spent much time thinking about this issue at all, but you're both New York City residents. Um, If I said, we're going to bring someone in to worry about the operations, independent of the mayor who's an expert on operations, you want that or no?
2: So, I would say that, like, the concept, yes, uh, but I think if someone like, um, when when Yang was running, uh, Brianna uh, was supporter of... uh, Catherine Garcia, mm-hmm. and I think we were just so surprised that like her operational background and just how she talked about things didn't catch on. So she
0: actually did better than I think most people expected.
2: Totally, but I think yes. if you're talking about kind of like the the pedigree for it, and there wasn't enough of a, I don't know, like you it know, was it's funny. So y- Yang that.
0: kept calling her and basically <laughs> saying, "Let's team up." And you know the job was like yeah, his first deputy she mayor. She didn't want. I don't blame yeah. her. She did better than the election anyway, so good for her. But but his view was kind of like that, which was like you really know how to run shit. You run stuff. Yeah. I'll do the kind of big picture stuff. We'd be a really good team. I think that that might have been true. Instead, we got a guy named Eric Adams who can give an inspirational speech. I thought his speech on Israel was incredible, um, but has never run anything before, and and I think that shows.
2: Yeah, but I just. For the public interest or the public support for this, I think that there would have to be a reckoning of, like, you know, uh, someone who's giving a good speech to what you're saying. Like, all of the politics of it they may agree with, but, you know, I just don't know if there's enough people uh, in New York that are like, you know what, we just need an operational person.
1: Well, can yeah. I say something? Yeah, yeah. Here, here's what I like about it, though, is that, you know, I think I think uh, because for the most part things have been you know improving in the city over the last 25 years the economics of the city certainly are better than they were 25 years ago there's a, a, a lack of I think understanding for the just basic New York City resident that like you know the city government's a hundred billion dollar a year business yeah. and what are we getting from it like are we getting enough I mean this is the most advanced municipal government in the world no. And, and if you just go down the list of, like, what are they kicking ass at, it like, not that much. Yeah. So, so you think of, like, well, something needs to change. Something needs to be different. And what is it? So I like so, the yeah, idea right. of, like, of, like, okay, well, let's look at that. And, and, and what, what are the ways that, and, you know, in a weird way, you, you mentioned at the top that Adams would not like it. But in a weird way, he would like it, right? I mean, <laughs> it would actually make, if it were malt, really the case, yeah. it would make his life easier.
0: Right. Nobody is sort of open to, to losing power. And look, there are times, you know. Mike happened to be an operational person and won, but Mike only won because of 9-11 and 10 other crazy things all happened in rapid succession, and he barely won anyway. Uh, Garcia, who would have been operationally and probably an excellent mayor, didn't win, right, did better than expected, but still lost. Um, So I I think that we just have to accept that it's generally, the mayor's going to be a politician. That's how politics works. And as a result, why not just accept that and then put someone in? Because you're right that there's not, like— some massive sort of out—most people aren't that focused on, like, city operations. But I do think um, that most people do intuitively have a sense of, like, is the street free of trash or not? Are the—you know, is, is, uh, is the traffic getting better or worse? Do I feel safe walking on the block or not? And so I, I do think you can organize people around this. In fact, when people really do feel— that quality of life has really declined, and crime has really increased. That tends to be when a lot of people who normally don't vote uh, in municipal elections do show up. Well, can,
1: I, can I ask you two questions? Yeah. Do you have something
0: you want I to say? I was just going to
2: ask, how do you protect this operational person if, if this happened from politics? Then, because yeah. even those issues still have politics and it, groups that it's, have interests?
0: It's, it's a good question. So yeah. I, what I tried to do was, and I'll go through it really fast, is I went through the vast majority <laughs> of the New York City agencies, and I tried to yeah. assign them to, to either the mayor or the city manager. Um, so here's how I did it. Um, and to be clear, you know, my friend Michael Asher, who is absolutely a politics and governmental expert, disagreed with my list vehemently the minute I oh, said to him.
1: Yeah, and I, we can get into why, but I think We might have to have him on. Well, we, yeah. I guess we can't, right, because he works for the government. When he's done, he, okay, come on.
0: So mayor, economic development, budget, legislative affairs, housing development, criminal justice, cultural affairs, community affairs, design and construction, landmarks, planning, uh, finance, human rights, labor relations, law department, media investigations, technology and innovation, economic development, small business services, veteran tourism. Uh, the city has a veterans department? Huh? For what? To help the veterans who live in New York City.
1: Right. Okay. They're not covered by the federal Veterans Department. They are anyway. Uh,
0: Okay. Problem is, once you have it, you can't get. It's very hard to get rid of stuff once you have it. Um, City Manager, operational duties. So it would include Children's Services. This is ACS, is like to protect kids who are being abused. Um, Department of Aging, Buildings Department, Environmental Protection, Fire, Homeless Services, Probation Corrections, Public Housing, Health and Hospitals. Department of Health, uh, welfare, park sanitation, taxi transportation. And then there's a bunch of others that are currently independent that would remain so like city council, controller, district attorneys, campaign finance board, CUNY, libraries, board of elections, things like that. I would clearly get rid of the public advocate and the borough presidents if we were doing
1: a well I think that's part restructuring. of structure. Like this is a real this is a real change in how the, the whole structure should and, work. And to
0: Megan's question, I wasn't sure where to put the two biggest ones, which were the schools and the cops. Right? Because it is both operational and ideological. What
2: if you had it operational, but then you had almost like you changed the public advocate role to be involved on the operational side to make sure that the public's you know, voice in this? Oh, I see. So you the, know?
0: the public advocate becomes the city manager yeah. in a way. Yeah, as long as the people who have become public advocate. Are, I mean, the people are, are like they make the, the usually the mayors look competent in terms
1: of operations. So we need a, <laughs> okay.
0: we need a different
2: profile a But people don't know what they're voting advocate. for with a public advocate right now anyway. So yeah. changing no, it. You they're know. voting
1: for a, a very low level celebrity. Yeah. Um, very, very we're low. Very low level. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Bradley, two questions and then we're going to go on to your, your uh, pedestrian uh, argument. Sure. One, um, I'll, I'll say them both and then you can answer them. Who is the person who you think is this person now in the in Adams administration? Is there one? And then the second question is, like, just to just, just start to game it out, how could this actually happen?
0: Yeah. So um, I, I haven't noticed. I, I would say within the Adams, probably Jesse Tisch, who's the sanitation commissioner, would be the person that I would pick. Um... But overall, you know, you have not
1: seen great feats of operational excellence. But there isn't even someone who's supposed to be sort of the operational guru. There,
0: there is, and they're fine, but they're right. political point They're they're very political appointees, right? So they're
1: just a sort of arm of the mayor. Yeah, which
0: right. is fine. That's what he wants, right? Um, yes. So, um, but I think sort of a good analogy, and some you may remember this it was going kind of Andy Byford who ran the MTA. He came yeah. over from London. He was considered like really an expert, really good. Um, MTA is a state run agency mainly, although I do believe that New York state transit should be run by the city. Um, and Cuomo hated that Andy Byford was getting so much attention that he drove him out of the job, just harassed him, hounded him, you know, completely just unrelentless until he quit. And that was an example of like, if Byford had been protected from that, right. And could have just done the job of running the subways. Um, we probably would have a much better system today, right now, and so that uh, happens to be a,
1: a state version of it. But I think it's kind of the same thing. Okay. So, so let's talk in, in brief because we're going to have to return to this yep. subject. But, yeah, yeah. This is just a but. Night. But what? Let's say people listen to this podcast. The grassroots movement starts. Oh my God, Bradley talks got the best idea. <laughs> this I is ever it. Heard. This is everything I heard it changes on this incredible now. Incredible podcast. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so it, it starts to like spread. How does it happen? So you
0: would need a uh, city count, city charter referendum. Um, generally speaking, they come either from the mayor or the city council. Uh, I don't see a world where any mayor says, yes, I'd like to lose half of my power. So yeah. I don't. doesn't matter who the mayor is. They're not going to support it. Um, it is possible that you could do it through the council. However, um, they're highly political too. So a lot of it just depends on their political relationship with the mayor um, and we happen to have a, kind of getting back to our first topic, a very, very, very progressive city council right now who is also concerned almost exclusively with ideology and not operations. And so whether they want to use a huge amount of the limited political capital they have on an operational issue to me is unclear. Um, I think there is a, a citizen petition way to get, um, I think, Corey, do you know? No, Corey's shaking his head. No, I think he's the best bet in this room. Um to get on there, I should know this because I was the executive director of the Charter Revision Commission in 2002, 2003. Um, no, 2002. Um, but uh, I don't remember. Um, but we'll look into that. But I think it would have to be a heavily citizen-led effort to even get this on the ballot.
1: And, and, or or in conjunction with that, right, uh, uh, this sounds like the kind of thing a big private employer in New York City would be in favor of, right?
0: They, they would, but I think every labor union would despise it. Right. Because the reason the way that unions get big contracts is they're able to endorse candidates, turn out votes, spend money. You take all that away um, because now they're dealing with someone completely independent. And now it's just based on the merits as opposed to the politics. So I I would imagine just in the same way that labor killed the idea of nonpartisan elections. Um, they would do everything they could to stop
1: it. Okay, so the hospitals and hotels are out, but not, say, a financial firm. They don't have a unionized workforce. Yeah,
0: but then that gets back to the larger problem of we have no business leadership that's effective in the city, right? We have the right. partnership for New York City, which writes letters and doesn't do much of anything else. Um, we have REBNY, which, which can be effective politically, but it's solely to represent the economic interests of the real estate community, not the good of the city as a whole. Um, and that's really it. I mean, And so as a result... Yeah, in theory, but if you said to me, stack up the political effectiveness and power of the center and of the business world in New York City compared to labor and the left, it'd be like ninety right.
1: ten, something like that. And that I might be being generous. So we got five minutes left for yeah. The, I'm going to go my rules. Okay, so this is uh, apropos of nothing. This is this is the this is the podcast of prepared remarks. Here we go. Yeah, it's, the... <laughs> r- it's rare that I'm reading so much,
0: uh, <laughs> but uh, I just was talking to Hugo about the fact that. Seems to me that there are some rules that if we all adhere to would be a lot better. For pedestrians. For pedestrians. I'm gonna throw them out there um, and then uh, we'll see where it goes. So the first one is, if you're looking at your phone, just pull over to the side till you're done, right? Of course we all look at our phone, but when you look at your phone, you're walking at a snail's pace compared to how you're normally walking. You're slowing everyone else down. Feel free to look at your phone, but just don't do it while walking. Number two in general- Pull
1: over to the shoulder.
0: Walk faster. People walk too fucking slow. We have places to go. There are things we need to do. This is the city that never sleeps. And the city that never sleeps has become a little sleepy in my view. Okay. Um, Damn. Third, if you're going to walk slowly, create a lane for people behind you. So if you have like several slow people in your group, don't walk waist to waist side to side. Walk in front and behind each other, single line file. Because it's ridiculous <laughs> that you're walking slow, you're blocking the whole fucking street and then no one can get through and like people miss like gonna work or important things in the world don't happen because like you don't have the courtesy to like think about other people. Um, Fourth, if you're smoking a cigarette or a joint or a blunt, be be mindful about the smoke covering the people behind you. You know, vapes in some ways, that's the one good thing about them. It's like, it's just sort of a cloud of air that sort of doesn't have any effect, but it's disgusting to walk right behind someone smoking a cigarette or a blunt or whatever it is. Um, And so again, maybe you can pull over to the side while you're smoking and then you can resume your walk when that's over. Um, If there's already scaffolding and trash bags and other things blocking the sidewalk, don't become another obstacle. Keep moving or stand somewhere else. Um, But uh, Laurel's Block, for example, Crosby, uh, between Houston and Bleeker, there's scaffolding. Um, There's a lot of junkies already on that street. There seems to be like huge amounts of trash stacked up because a lot of the giant commercial buildings on Broadway put their trash out behind on Crosby. And then there's this lovely cafe, beautiful, nice cafe, and then, you know, track sort of a very kind of trendy crowd. And they're all hanging out outside the cafe. And it's like, there's nowhere to fucking walk. And like, so so basically, you know, drink your coffee inside or go somewhere else. But you can't have scaffolding, trash, you know, people passed on a fentanyl. And then and other people. Ch- yeah, chilling yeah. with their fucking lattes. Yeah. Um, can't have it. Observe the escalator rules. Standing to the right, climbing to the left. Most people get this right. But but you do have, sometimes it's like a tourist, but sometimes it's just like an asshole. Um, and they stand on the left it's like, what the fuck, man? Like, no one's telling you you have to climb, but we have a system. And like, just observe it. It works really well. Um, next, if you're walking your dog, between you, the dog, and the leash, um, don't take up the whole sidewalk, right? You know, like, make sure people can pass. Uh, I think most of that's okay, but sometimes people have these like crazy long, like, Dog leashes, they sort of like have like an extension, yeah, retractable, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, where the fuck am I supposed to go? Like yeah. you're here, the, the, the dog is 18 feet away, the leash isn't taking up the rest of it. And even more than that, pick up your dog shit, right? Like just, if you, if you don't clean up after your dog, you don't deserve to own one. It's as simple
1: yeah. as that. Um, do you see the cops doing tickets for that anymore? Does that happen?
0: No, because they're, I mean, they're not even giving out tickets for, for people selling weed illegally in stores. So why the fuck would they give out tickets for, for dog shit? Right. No. Uh, we also have a big problem that there's only like 33,000 cops at the moment on the roster in New York City and we need closer to 40,000. So we also just don't literally have the, the police force that we need to do the job. Um, blind people should get priority at all times. Ask if they need help crossing the street. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> um, it's a good overall principle.
2: Yeah. Top of the list.
0: Uh, people trying to carry a stroller up or down subway steps, see if they need a hand, right? Um, you know, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they do. When they do, they're appreciative. I had years and years of carrying strollers up or down, and I appreciate it when someone asked me. I was going to
2: say, we will always appreciate it. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's all you got to do is see if they... And it takes, like... And by the way, I'm always in a rush, and it's still, like... The feeling that I get about myself feeling good that I helped somebody is clearly worth the 20 seconds that I lost in doing that. Um, And the last one, and this is a much broader question, but but this is for the city. People should not be allowed to sleep sleep on the sidewalk. It's inhumane for them, it's dangerous for everyone else. We've gotta come up with a better system than this. I understand that, that cities all over the world are struggling with it, so it's not like it's New York City's failure alone. Um, but the way we handle it, which just
1: hands off, you know, like that's just a lose lose. So everybody. I'm just going to bring these two things together. This would be kind of a great project for the city manager. Would be like just a little. This, this could be their
0: like platform. Yeah, this might be the thing that that, that gets the public excited. Uh, I mean, excited. It, is, it
1: is the one thing that unites all New Yorkers. Pedestrianism. Almost everybody is going to be, you know.
2: Yeah, I feel so. Like,
0: sorry. So Megan, as yeah. as our representative of the far left, if oh, I God, tried yeah. to get someone <laughs> on the city council to introduce this as a resolution. What would be the equity arguments against it?
2: The equity argument? Uh, that's hard. Hold on. There always
0: seems to be one.
2: <laughs> no. You know, I think that this is one of those uh, unifying issues. I really do. I i uh, i don't know anyone that would admit that they're a slow walker on the street. Um, Maybe it's
1: the third party we've been waiting for. Yeah. For I was going to say. But... Right. Just, I'm like, yeah, I, I gather I an old angle. people, whatever. Like That's fine. The pony party. Pedestrians like, in New York. Um,
2: well, because even you talking about people sleeping on the street, it's not like you're saying you're disregarding the fact that that's where they are. It's that there needs to be a better solution for people who, uh, you know, for homeless folks. Yeah, it's honestly. terrible
0: for them yeah, and it's I, terrible for everybody
2: else. Yeah. So it, it, in that lens, I don't think that there would be a, a far left argument all right, against maybe, this. Maybe
0: we can get this thing done. Um, <laughs> all right. So the last thing, recommendations. Oh uh, um, you, you have a recommendation? I have you, one. You mentioned it. Go ahead. It is a uh, podcast that I was introduced to over the weekend. It's called Too Far. Uh, it's two women, Robbie Hoffman and Rachel Cayley. They are, uh, their two main identified things are they're very Jewish and very lesbian, um, and they're very fucking funny. Um, it is like they just capture, like, like oh, I'm, I'm going to totally butcher it, but like Robbie Hoffman, who grew up in a super Hasidic family, was talking about how, like, when she was growing up going to yeshiva, and then they would learn Yiddish all the time. So the typical Yiddish story would be like, we're in the shtetl, everything's going really well, the husband is bringing home a fish head for his wife, gets it from the monger, everybody's happy, then cholera strikes and everyone's dead. And like, that's the typical Yiddish literature. When she said it, it was fucking funny. Okay. When I just said it, it I was believe not. It. So um, wait, can I just ask you one quick question out.
1: about that? How did you, where did you get that recommendation from?
0: Yeah. Uh, Laurel heard about it from somebody, and then we were in the car six hours each way on Friday and Sunday. Just well, six hours to one your... way, then the other way. <laughs> so we listened to a lot of different podcasts and music, but of those uh, included uh, this podcast too
1: far. Lovely. All right. Uh, see you next week. We'll see Bradley. you next week. I just, Megan, Bye. thank you.
0: Thanks. Bye. Firewall is recorded on the lower east side of PT Network, home to New York City's only free podcast recording studio. Let us know if you have a question, feedback, or ideas for a guest. Just email me at bradley at firewall.media or find me on Twitter, or some people now call it X, at Bradley Tusk. And don't forget to pre-order my debut novel, Obvious in Hindsight, wherever books are sold, especially here at PNT Network.